0: Finding Happy, Seven Steps to Relationships that Will Not Steal Your Joy is the new book by me, Nikita Banks, a licensed psychotherapist and life strategist. Leverage the knowledge you'll receive in this book to help you with the process of obtaining absolute clarity Do the use of guided self-exploration. This process is necessary to help you master all your relationships in 2019 and beyond. Go on Amazon.com or BlackTherapistPodcast.com and grab your copy of the book Guaranteed to help you redesign all your relationships based on two basic principles, health and happiness. Get your copy today. Welcome to the Black Therapist Podcast. The Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. Now, if you are new to our show, I am your host, author, life strategist, and psychotherapist, Nikita Banks, in private practice in my hometown of Brooklyn, New York. I am available for both psychotherapy and coaching sessions. And you can find more information about that on my website, NikitaBanks.com. You can listen to our podcast everywhere podcasts are found. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, YouTube, SoundCloud, Pippa, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and BlackTherapistPodcast.com. If you are a mental health advocate or therapist and you want to buy our podcast merchandise, you can do so by visiting our site, and if you want access to our free mental health tips, free online trainings, discounted selective services, and resources, do so by joining our mailing list by texting Get Happy, all one word, to 66866. If you love the podcast, please like, comment, and share. We love to hear from you. And if you want to send me some feedback, guest suggestions, or simply to say hey, you can contact us at our website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. Please be mindful that this episode. And all of the information that we provide here is just a resource and a tool to help get you started on your mental health journey If you are feeling any mental health distress or you're having any significant issues Please feel free to reach out to us so that we can find you a mental health provider in your area Okay, let's go Hey guys Welcome to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast And I don't know, day 4087 of... The big quarantine of 2020 Um, still here in Brooklyn, New York I am in the house I've been at home now for two months I'm not even counting the weeks anymore Because it just kind of doesn't matter But um Like everybody else I've been social distancing And at this point I don't know if I'm like Extreme social distancing I finally went to my office this week Because there was like checks there for me And I need my monies So I like finally went to my office to go pick up my mail and my the the office manager was in there and she was she was cleaning and like I legit it was literally like I was supposed to run inside for like 15 minutes and I legit talked to her maybe for about an hour because she's the first person that does not live in my house I've seen in the last two months like in person not on FaceTime not on Zoom. And so I was really kind of overly excited to see another human being that doesn't live in my yibs, um, yibs is crib for those of you who didn't grow up in Brooklyn. (laughs) Brooklyn, but, um, yeah, so that was nice. And, um, it's really cool because she and I are working on, a, like, a side project together, hopefully. Let's see how that goes. But we made plans to work on something together, which is really nice. Definitely want to clarify. When I saw my, um, the office manager and she and I talked, I had on my mask and we social distanced. <laughs> because, no ma'am, Mm-mm. nope, no. Like, I don't want to be, like, a... Like a an asshole about this whole social distancing thing. It's, and I and I want to be have as normal of a summer as I possibly can under the circumstances. But I can't afford to get sick. I can't afford to get my family sick. I can't afford to get anybody else sick. So, um, yeah, this is kind of what my new normal is here in New York City. And so I've been doing every single thing that I can to, like, stay away from folk. And then... I told you guys last week that I have been trying. If you hear all of this little, that was just me. But my dog is like running around and he like wants to rub up on me. He ain't been messing with me all day. So if you are a therapist and you've been doing telehealth, you know my life, right? Because he hasn't messed with me all day. But now he wants to rub up on me and give me love. He's acting like he's a cat. He and he does this during sessions. And like in my therapy groups, I'm realizing like not only kids and husbands are like doing stuff to irritate you when you are working. Pets are showing out as well. And so, oh my God, he will not leave me alone, y'all. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm super distracted. Lord. But anyway, um, last week on the show, I told you that there is a announcement that I'm going to make. And if you keep listening to this show, you'll hear it. If you can support me in this new endeavor that I'm I'm attempting to do, please reach out to me via DM, reach out to me via um, message. And this is especially for my social workers in New York State. Okay, hint, hint. So I'll tell you what it is. When you listen to the show, but I've been trying to get my girlfriend Roxanne to come on the show. She's a hospital social worker. And we've really been having to fight for like normal things that people, other medical professionals don't have to fight for. Right. Like social workers, a lot of people don't know what we do. They assume that we go into people's homes and we take their children's or all that we do is like work for welfare or the welfare. And that's not what we do, right? So I'm a clinical social worker, uh, but I am in private practice. And even for me, I was ignorant of the fact that I could be uh, have my MSW and end up being a social worker and going into private practice when I first started. If you want to hear how I became a social worker, there are plenty of episodes on that. But just to the story is is that my, my own therapist told me this is the easiest, quickest way for me to be in practice and be competent at the job, right? Because a lot of us wanna go into private practice and we wanna go into business and we wanna help people. And some people are just not qualified, right? And so he was like, if you want to be um, efficient and responsible and you want to not have to wait six years in order to practice and get practice in this is the way to do it so I went to school got my MSW got my LCSW and uh, my LMSW then my LCSW but I was able to work a year and a half after entering my program and, and graduating and passing the first licensing exam under someone else's tutelage right so I had a supervisor and then in two years of working under somebody supervised because I was licensed in New Jersey, I talked more in depth about this on last week's show and some other shows. But anyway, I was able to I was eligible within, you know, three and a half years from saying I wanted to be a therapist and entering into school, I would have been eligible to go into private practice, right? And I mean, I'm not really sure when I went into private practice, to be honest with you. I know that I was proficient. I met all the state boards, I met all the licensing requirements, but I don't really know if I've gotten really good at practice except for in like the last 2 years, right? Like I was really I'm really good at the interpersonal stuff, wasn't really so great with the business stuff, wasn't really all that good with the marketing stuff, but like now I I know a lot more, which is why my goal is to help others um be able to master their marketing messages and be able to master systems in their business and in their private practice. So if you wanna work with me for coaching, you can hit me up at nikitabanks.com or in banks at nikitabanks.com right? But um, last week I told you a lot of what I'm doing in my business to be able to, to withstand some of the shortfalls, right? Every last one of us, even if you're Jeff Bezos, even though he just hit a the trillion mark. Um, but every last one of us has had to learn to shift and pivot in our businesses, right? And for some of us, it was just kind of like a pause or dot, dot, dot. And then we was able to shift and pivot and like ramp up production or stop doing stuff. If you ordered stuff from our Black Therapist Podcast shop, It's taking me a lot longer to send out stuff because number one, I was locked in the house for a few weeks. Number two, it was really difficult for me to get um, some of the products that I use in terms of like my T-shirts and my hoodies, because we make everything in house. Everything is handmade. I don't have like a second party, third party person that does that for me. It's not drop shipping. And I could have gone those ways, but there were just business and logistical reasons why it made sense for me not to do that. And so now that we're getting back into it, I'm really excited to like really push the, sh- the shop, go in there, see what we have, right? But you know, I've had to learn to pivot certain things in my business and I talk a lot about that on last week's episode. But because as social workers, we don't have a cohesive message on what it is and who we do, When you think of nurses, you know exactly what they do, right? They help sick people. You think of doctors, you think they heal people. When you think of like teachers, they teach our children or teach adults. You know, they they impart knowledge in communities. What the hell does a social worker do? And so it was very difficult for us to get the respect that we deserve when it comes to hazard pay in hospitals being identified and seen as essential workers and getting the respect that we we need. And, and not only that, right? So there are hospital social workers, right? There are community social workers. There are people who work in welfare and in child welfare, and some of them are licensed social workers. Not all of them are, but some of them are, right? And so these people still have to go out and do their jobs, right? I haven't been unemployed. I just was able to work from home, but I still see my clients that are in the hospital. I'm just not going into hospitals anymore, right? I don't have to be out on the street. I can make a different decision, a different choices. But I was literally walking into my building and I heard a social worker coming in and she identified herself as a social worker. And I'm like, wow, you're a social worker, so am I. And she's like, yeah, I've been in the field. She's like, I've been in, in the, the social work field for 22 years. And I was like wow And so you know There are some of us still going out Seeing patients And I know who she was going to see I know that the the family is elderly I know that there are health issues in that family And it's so necessary So for us to not be respected Or seen as essential When we gotta deal with everybody right I work with Nurses, I work with people impacted by COVID every single day in my business. And so there's a narrative that people just don't know what we do, but we're on the front lines of every single thing that happens in this country. And not only are we talking to people about their feelings, but we're also providing them concrete solutions to help bridge the gaps. I've been talking a lot more to my clients than I've ever have, not ever, I'll say ever having private practice because that's that's really true. Um, but I've been talking to my private practice clients more than I've ever had about resources. I did it when I worked in the clinics. I do it when I do my consulting work with, with clients in the hospitals. But being able to kind of provide resources for my clients who are working and are still struggling has been helpful for me because not only am I asking you, well, how do you feel about that? Well, how does that make you feel? I'm actually like, okay, well, we can't even talk about your feelings until we figure out how you're going to pay the rent this month. So let's talk about how you pay the rent this this month. We can't even talk about, um, you know, your breakup until we talk about how you're going to make the rent now that he's no longer kicking in. And so being able to provide not only just mental health support, but also provide them with community-based resources to help them through this process has been really helpful for my clients, but it's also been helpful for me. It lets me know that all of my years of struggle and um, navigating social services agencies on my own um, has actually turned into a marketable skill. And I remember when I was doing my sister's resume some years back and I was looking at her resume and I was like, well, girl, I know you know how to deal with, you know, getting rental assistance. I know you know how to deal with getting childcare assistance. So I was like, OK, so, you know, part of your skills is you you are proficient at navigating social services agencies. You are able to connect Clients with community-based organizations, you, um, what else did I tell her? You're able to think on your feet, right? And even my sister was like, I didn't even think of, of that as a skill. And I was like, well, these are the things that they actually want me to do in my job. And now that you have a degree and you have these opportunities and you're working in a similar field, I mean, I'm not going to say that I'm the reason that she got a job, but she got a job. <laughs> She's working. So just being able to, like, help with all of the knowledge and the things that I know. I, you know, I may not have have had to be homeless, although I have been in the past. And I may not have had to be on public assistance, but I have in the past. Um What I know about us is that we're resilient and we know our way around social services agencies and we know our way around certain laws and what we're eligible for and those kind of things. And for us right now, being able to know exactly where you can shift, pivot and change and where you can actually provide resources to other people is so important and it's so necessary. So I just wanted to put that out there. To all of my social workers out there, you are essential. You are essential. You are essential. Okay. Now I'm gonna get into this episode, um, the interview with Roxanne and I'll be right back. So uh, introduce yourself to the people. Hi, my name is Roxanne Masco.
1: I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Cambridge, Massachusetts, but don't get it twisted. I'm a New Rican <laughs> from New York, which is a Puerto Rican wow. that has that experience of being a New Yorker different from the island. So want to make sure everybody's clear about that. Right, BX. Born, <laughs> BX, I was just going to say, <laughs> born and raised in the BX. Usually you guys say that first. It's like BK, BX. I know, but you know. You know, identity is all about the experience of life, and so since I spent most of my time going to school and being with my mother in Manhattan, I I claimed the BX because that's where I was born and raised, but we were on that number five train downtown every day, an hour on the train, so, you know,
0: I claimed the New Rican first. Let's be honest. Nobody claims Manhattan first.
1: No, it's true. Nobody claims that. I don't even want to really want to talk about it.
0: But nobody claims Manhattan first. Even, I mean, unless you're from Harlem, no one does it. It's not even really a thing. Agreed. Not not us anyway. We don't. We definitely don't do it. Like I'll hear some of my clients or like people I know. Oh, Upper West Side or Upper East Side. And I'm like, they're both the same thing to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going disrespectful. <laughs> You know, we like that though. We That's that's how we are about our borough.
1: Oh, no, we are. We're like, oh, you're from New York from where? And the no, second ma'am. you don't. I'm from
0: Brooklyn. Well, I'm not from New York. Wait, the second you. <laughs> it
1: depends. The second you don't say. When you say you're from one of the boroughs, then it's cool. But the second you say something outside of
0: that, it's like, oh, you're not from New, not York. New York. That's not New York. That's not New State. York. Oh, no, no, sir. No, you live upstate. That's not. <laughs> that don't count. <laughs> We're so ridiculous with that, though. Yeah, I went to New Orleans for um, Essence Festival. And when I got down there, the guy was telling me, um, if you're from New Orleans, if or you come up to us and you say you're from New Orleans, we're going to be like, where? And if you tell us a neighborhood, we're going to want to know what block." And if you know what block we we, we know the block. We are going to be like, "Well, who's your family?" I was like, "I thought New York was the only place that did that cuz we want to know exactly where you from and who you know. We just we that's what we want to do." And he was like, "You know what? And after that, like if we know that where you from and we see you anywhere, you good." And I was like, "New York is like New Yorkers are like that out of town. That's that's how we are." So
1: well, because yeah. we think you're lying.
0: Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah, when I was when I lived in Virginia, people used to be like, Oh, I'm from Flatbush. Really? Flatbush where? Where? <laughs> like Flatbush used to be the hot thing to say. <laughs> where in Flatbush, bruh? <laughs> Like, and now, now everybody's like, oh, I was in, in Africa recently, and the guy was like, oh, I know about Brooklyn. I'm, I was like, really? Yeah, I've been to Brooklyn. Where were you in Brooklyn? And he was like, no, nah, never. Been. I was like, okay, so then don't, don't say that. Mm-mm. You Mm-mm. know, now everybody claims Bed-Stuy because, you know, Jay Z and Biggie, but I'm actually from the stuff. You, where, where at? What block? <laughs> what school you went to? Who's your mama? <laughs> I want to know all of that. So, locate yourself? <laughs> and so, That kind of leads into how we met, right? Because I don't even remember when, like, you caught my eye. So we were at this conference. uh, I think it was, like, Martha's Vineyard Social Work Voices. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to the vineyard. I'm going to go get these credits. I wasn't really thinking of anything, like, far past that. And then, I mean, because I've never been to Martha's Vineyard. I've heard of it. But, like... (laughs) Only thing I know about Martha's Vineyard is like Barack goes there sometimes. Uh, the Kennedys uh, had a house, you know? Yes, I'm driving yeah. by and I'm seeing Chappaquiddick and I'm like, oh, okay, that's the Kennedys stuff. Mm-hmm. And so like, I'm not knowing any, anything about this conference, but I get there and it's like a bunch of academics. Um, and I think me and... I knew one other person because I had won an award in Congress earlier in the year, and she was she was actually she won actually as well, and so we were there the first night, and then her friend, and I think I feel like I met you the second day.
1: I think you're right. It was the second day.
0: Were we in a were we in a panel together?
1: We were I mean, in obviously. one of those groups together. Because Remember, they had that crazy. Everybody was going to the same training at the same time, but run by different people.
0: Oh, yeah. And we so, were yeah, out to the to
1: sticker group or
0: something. Yeah, I wasn't paying attention to that sticker group thing. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> So, okay, so we had tracks, like there was an A track and a B track and a C track and a D track. I was just looking at the the things and like seeing where I wanted to go, right? right? (laughs) And then it rained. (laughs) So I was like, I'm going to the closest place to me because some of the places were like really far on the island or far off, I thought. Like now that I realize the island is like this big.
1: Right.
0: It really wasn't that big of a deal, but when it was pouring down raining and it was a little chilly and we're surrounded by water everywhere, I'm like, right. I'm, "Oh, that's across the street. I'm going to I'm the, going the there. Across, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I ended up staying in one place all like all this one day. And so we met at that time. Mhm. We did. But I don't yeah.
1: remember how we figured out we were both from New York. I don't know, but New Yorkers know each other. We sort of, you just hear that accent a little bit. My accent is a little gone. I have to sometimes bring it back.
0: Well, first of all, I had on a hoodie. Yes, you did. I think you had on a hoodie. hoodie. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else was dressed up because it was like academia. It was like the the head of, of, um, well, now the head of NASW. She threw it. But it was like all of these, these upstanding socialites and it was us. (laughs) And so, yeah, we, I, I feel like we, we stuck out. I probably stuck out more than you did because you actually knew these people, but I did not. Um, But tell them about your work that you're doing right now.
1: So I'm working in an urban site hospital up here in Massachusetts and um, that frontline stuff. It's like a rep now. I'm on the front mm-hmm. lines. It's like a rep. It's really interesting how it's becoming something. Um, and what do you mean I, by that? Well, I just feel like people are sort of toting it. Like you on the front lines. Like that could mean that I work in the Starbucks and the, bottom of the hospital but if i say i'm on the front lines nobody's going to question me similar to what we were talking about about being in new york Up here they don't really question you you just say i'm on the front lines and people they decide they know what that means
0: yeah no one cares here they just i mean they care moving. they care a little bit but they don't care like i called um the lines here for groceries i went grocery shopping today which is half why i'm tired but the lines for groceries are really ridiculously long and so i called whole foods because i haven't been able to get into whole foods since this whole thing (laughs) happened Mm. and so um because they're being really you know it's owned by amazon i guess they don't want to get sued, but they're being really really strict about like social distancing rules and so i i said to my um I called up and I was like, Hey, what what are you guys doing for like, you know, first responders or whatever because social workers are first responders. I don't think that they think of us that way. No. I know that this is something that we gotta fight for, but we are. Right. And so, um and my ID says it and, you know, I have other ends. And so they they were like, Yeah, you could come in here as a first responder but you um that just means you get to skip the line, but you have to have your ID and the person has to be present. It's like, you're not just going to come up here and say, this is who you are and this is what you do. So they want proof. That is
1: so odd. I actually am not actually toting any of it. Like I'll say something on, you know, social media because everybody's focusing on nurses and doctors And not understanding that social workers are actually supporting those nurses and doctors
0: and patients. We got to do the grunt work in the hospital.
1: Everything. We support everybody. And this Mm -hmm. is how I often think of myself and I think of social workers. We are glue. We We keep everything together. And part of our skill in doing that is like glue becomes almost like we're transparent like nobody even sees
0: that what we're doing and that's the moms of like of like adulthood
1: yeah and that's what's happening and so i you know i'm trying not to be frustrated with people so but only on social media am i like hey yeah, this is great that you're saying all this about nurses, because I went to Simmons, and so there's this thing where they're putting out, oh, thank you all these Simmons alum, these nurses, and I'm like, there's social workers too who are Simmons alum, and,
0: and working right next to for them for the respect. We don't get the respect that we we deserve. Not, not at only, all. Not only for me, you know, when this when it when it happened, I've been able to work from home, which is a wonderful thing. But all of the people that I'm serving are people affected by the pandemic, just like everybody else. That's number one, and number two, like I service nurses. Like my one of my biggest calls came from a um, uh, uh, employee assistance program for one of the biggest hospitals over here, and they were like, "Our nurses really need mental health support, so we're going to give them free services." And I was like, "That's good," but I knew that I had to to make myself be ready to be able to deal with the type of trauma and PTSD that I'm going to be seeing in my clients.
1: Yeah. It's real. It's a real thing. Y'all nobody's talking about it in that way though, either. And so my, my role. So I have another sort of layer to it, which is I work. I sort of am a, uh, not sort of, but I'm a clinical lead for the per diem staff. So on top of everything else that's going on and being sort of invisible, I'm also supporting people who, who, who can choose not to be there working. And so the dynamic of that layer for these social workers who are per diem is that they're not getting the same level of information as the full timers. Mm. So on top of everything else, they're still coming, and I'm uniquely aware of how I have to take care of this team by making sure that they have the same level of communication so that they understand how to keep themselves safe and how to continue to do the work.
0: So what is that looking like?
1: It looks like me saying to you, because there's another dynamic of being maybe one of um, two Black people, social workers on, you know, the more full-time, part-time staff. My per diem team is more diverse than the whole staff of the social work department. So it looks like me saying, I need you to do some Zoom meetings like you're doing with your full-time staff with my per diem staff and getting pushback. Of course. No, but getting pushback about that. I mean, all you're doing is sending out a link. What's the problem? That they don't want to take the time to do it. And they don't understand what the impact is on a per diem staff who are not there weekly to understand what the conditions are. They're getting all their information from the news and social media. So, of course, they're scared when they're coming. And so I'm saying to the leadership, hey, we are an additional, we're like the gorilla, gorilla glue for you. We're holding your social work team together. And you need to have backup. Right. So we're asking you to have one little conversation with us a week so we have updates and we know how to keep ourselves safe.
0: We make educated decisions and say we're not going to work. Yeah. Whatever it is. That's, I'm, I'm not going to lie. In the beginning of this, because I thought I had been exposed to coronavirus, and the majority of my clients that I see in my consulting work, which is a, a pretty um, job, but in my consulting work is that I go into clients' homes. I go into the psych wards. I go into their homes. And a lot of these um, severely mentally ill people, they live with their elderly parents. A lot of them have immunocompromised situations that I don't know until I get there. Mm-hmm. And so, because I had been exposed, I went to a funeral. My cousin was not there, but he tested positive, um, apparently. Uh, and because this happened very early on, I was quarantined for two weeks before the, the city was, before the state was. Wow. And so, I had made a, a educated discussion. I mean, decision that you know what? I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to go. And so I waited for the next following Monday. I called my assistant and I was like, what's going on with, with us working remotely? And she said, oh, they're supposed to make a determination about that by the end of the day. That was Monday. On Friday, they called me and was like, "Um, are you going to go see this patient? And I was like, nah, I'm, right. gonna, I'm not going to go because it, you told me on Monday you were going to make a decision. Right after they called me, then they um, maybe an hour later we got an email that we could work remotely. And when they said we could work remotely, then I I started checking in on my patients.
1: And that is, you were able to make that decision because you were informed.
0: I was informed. Number one, I was, uh, you know, what we do is of service. I was I, I was able to make the decision. In the best interest of my patients and in the best interest of my family, to be like, nah, I'm not gonna expose them to whatever it is that I exposed myself to. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, and and financially, I was like, I don't need, I don't need it, like, I don't need it that bad. And so, you know, you and I always talk about having autonomy built into your career. Anybody who listens to the show knows that I use the word autonomy more than anything because we need to be able to have the freedom of choice. And the freedom to make good choices when we can. A lot of people of color are in the the place that we are in this um, environment, feeling like we're not feeling because it's a real thing, being that we are high risk. And part of that is because we have two choices and both of them equally suck, but one sucks less. But you, having
1: information helps you decide what you're willing to deal with and what you're not willing to deal with. And that makes a huge difference in mental wellness and safe and physical safety.
0: But also, I think it, it it does matter how you want to serve. Because like you, you're going in the hospitals and you're doing what you need to do every day. And I commend you for that. My niece is a social worker, um, an LMSW in D.C. She's going to work in hospitals every day. And even when I came home today from the grocery shopping, I saw a, a social worker but be trying to get in my my building. And mm-hmm. I was like, Are you did you identify yourself as a social worker? And she's like, Yeah. And so I asked her, I'm like, Well, do you have your clinical license? And she was like, Yeah, over twenty two years. And I'm like, Dag, you've been doing this over twenty two years and you still in the field? Mm-hmm. Like that's what that was going on in my mind. I didn't wow. say that out of my mouth. But I don't I don't know what her you know, I don't know if she's licensed or if she's not like I don't know. But I know for me, getting my clinical license was the difference for me looking for jobs and jobs looking for me.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. hmm Absolutely. So let me add this other dynamic because the dynamics that I don't know if all of us are dealing with these dynamics, but I know I certainly am. We serve primarily a population that are homeless and um, afflicted by addictions. Mm-hmm that population yeah. is seven times more susceptible to being exposed to this virus. Mm-hmm. And then when, we, when this first started, we were being told by leadership, oh, you don't need protective equipment. <clears throat> and I said, I'm sorry, why? and we know what the real reason was that they didn't have enough but they just didn't want to say that because no they
0: said that
1: well not to us they didn't we already no, well, knew that but they they would not say the words to us
0: let me tell you something they were extremely transparent about like if you had been listening and i think it's because i also traveled early on in the year like i went to africa and so i'd kind of been seeing how other people were moving while I was traveling. And when I'm in a travel mode, I'm in that kind of proactive, got to have my hand sanitizer, got to have my Clorox wipes and all of those things just because I'm traveling. But I told my mother early on, I said, the virus attacks your eyes, your nose and your mouth. So cover your nose and your mouth and your eyes when you go outside. Put on a pair of sunglasses when you go outside. Put on a pair of, you put on a mask and she's she's like, well, they said that the mask don't protect you. I said, yeah, but the mask protects you from putting your hand in your nose, from putting your <laughs> hand in your mouth, from putting your hand <sighs> in your face. If your eyes yes. itch and you have on glasses, automatically your, your hand is going to go from wherever it is to your eyes. But if the glasses is there as a barrier, it gives you a minute to think about, oh, man, I can't put my hand in my eyes. I said, so cover those things. That's that. That's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And my mother was like, "Well, I don't know. That's not. They're saying that we don't need masks." And I said, "I'm telling you, if that's how it enters, then you need to cover those areas. They don't want us to go out and buy all of the N95 masks because first responders need it. There, there's not enough of everything. There's not enough of anything with this virus."
1: Well. We weren't, our country wasn't prepared. Let's be honest about that. We would. We,
0: we could talk about that and right. take come
1: home. We can But this was back in March when they were telling us this. And so I made a decision for the team that I work with. And I said, if you don't feel comfortable going to see that patient face to face, then don't mm-hmm. call them. Now, everybody else, the other social work part, the full timers, they were like, Oh, well, no one has given us permission. I said, well, I'm not waiting for permission. I will take care of the team the way I need to. Everybody deserves to feel comfortable in their work and how they're doing their work. And we will wait and see what our employer, our hospital is going to do. But for now, this is what we're doing. And we did that. And nobody said anything about it because they can't.
0: Yeah, and that was the the, the holdup from Monday to Friday is they were waiting for the insurance companies to tell us that they would still pay us if we saw the clients telephonically. Mm -mm. And so I have to wait for a corporation to tell me whether or not they value me and my clients for a paycheck for five whole days before you decide. My caseload usually had about 40 clients on it. So mm-hmm. can you imagine how, it, it like, it came to New York with one lawyer from New Rochelle that infected his, his family, his neighborhood, and his synagogue. What could it have done if I'd have seen 40 patients in that week?
1: It would have been awful.
0: Just like you said, homeless, meant severely mentally ill, what... I, People
1: immunocompromised. Uh, immuno, uh, yeah, yes, immuno Those are a lot of the populations that at least we serve. Yes. Mm-hmm. So how are you going to tell me this? So you know, like I just sort of enacted what, what basically what made sense, and then in our team where we sit, we sit like there's a bunch of us together. I swear, I feel like. I feel like sometimes we live in the projects in the space that we work in where we have no control over temperature. We're all on top of each other. All these dynamics in a very old building that probably was there in 1900s.
0: So... Because our hospitals are institutionalized.
1: Exactly. And so they have us all in this space, no protective equipment. And then I, I... I got a phone call randomly, like maybe the third week of March, fourth week of March. Oh, I wanted to let you know that someone in your office space is positive. Now, mind you, the group that I work with is social workers and nurses, Nurses who do like discharge planning, they, they see patients, but they're not doing the direct care all the time. They're doing the discharge planning. They're having potlucks, bringing birthday cake and doing all this, like no social distancing in the same space. So I started complaining about it. And then I get this call. The majority of those people were positive. I was not. Oh, my God. I was not positive because I said, you know what? I'm not messing with all of you. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I've been complaining about what's happening in this space. They were just being so irresponsible.
0: Yeah. I told my niece that my niece is working in the hospital. She said that the man in the office, one man in the office, he works on a different shift and he does not come in the office unless the client's, Unless there's a client there for him to see and he's called in. I said, so why don't you ask your boss if they could do that for you? She, she said, well, she's not going to do it for me because she doesn't do it for herself. I said, we don't advocate for ourselves. I said, clearly, it's not policy that you need to be there because the man is doing whatever he feel like doing. So why don't you protect yourself? I said, if I and it's five of them in one little office space from what she said. I said, I would be the most walking of the holes they would never They would never see me. I'd be in my car the majority of the day.
1: Well, you know what I was doing so I wouldn't be in that office space? I was actually on the, on the units where the patients were. Because at least I could practice the distancing. At least I can count on the nurses doing direct care to have the hygiene that they needed to have. Now, that's some craziness what I'm talking about. We're not even talking about the amount of patients who are positive. I'm not even talking about I'm talking about just dealing with a version of microaggressions as a Black social worker during okay. a pandemic.
0: Yeah. What's that like?
1: What I just said?
0: Yeah. The it microaggression. Is
1: It is number one is maddening, and number two, it it's awful to feel like that you either have to follow or choose to take care of yourself. I'm I'm not I don't know about you, but I don't know most New Yorkers are not followers. No. So the New York in me came out.
0: And they, did they know it
1: was in there. They <laughs> did know because New Yorkers and have a way of communicating it. without words. I'm a very good nonverbal communicator, and when I finally got the leadership to be having these weekly meetings with us, I started telling them about the environment. And then I realized that my supervisor, who knew all the information, wasn't telling the manager. And that's why, know, that's why there weren't any changes. The second I started telling the manager, I started to see
0: changes. So I want to ask you two more questions because we got to go soon. And I could talk to you forever, you know. I feel like we, we spoke more the other day, because we had, like, all the time in the, in the world. <laughs> but, um, but um, what drew you to social work?
1: So I said earlier that my mother worked in Manhattan. We lived in the South Bronx my whole life. She worked at Bellevue Hospital. Oh, gosh. For okay. 42 years. I grew up in Bellevue Hospital. That was my after-school program. I watched. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I watched my mother do that grassroots social work. Watching that, when I learned what it was, and I understood that that was social work, that community organizing on the ground, I'm going to get you what you need and help you navigate around the obstacles. And she spoke Spanish. And there weren't tons of people who were really available in that way, the way she was. That was my experience. So when I found out what social work was, I immediately related it to that experience of my after school, my scholastic, you know, what is the after school special Mm -hmm. of my mother. And that's how I knew this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: Tell them about The Triggered Project. The Triggered Project,
1: yes. The Triggered Project is um, right now two or three projects. It's an umbrella. Two or three projects in it. It started with Triggered Life, which is a one-man stage production about um, my husband's personal story with trauma. And then he is also playing a composite of other brown and black men experiences with trauma and is a multi-censored stage production, meaning you got the spoken word, the acting, visuals, pictures, sounds, temperature, so that everyone can sort of experience if they have never experienced what it feels like to be triggered. Then Off of that, we have started a podcast called Living a Triggered Life, and because we are both trauma survivors, if people don't already know, trauma gets right in the way of Black love, and so what we decided to do is start talking about how we manage when trauma gets in the way of our love and in our relationship, and what we do as a result of that and how we interact with each other. And we did that because we had so many friends around us saying, how are you two doing this? How were you together for so long? And so we decided that this is the way that we are going to share and give back to our communities. We share ourselves the most precious gift that we have. And we just dropped our podcast. We have one um, episode loaded up. You can find it at um, www.triggered1.com. And you can find <clears throat> the podcast there, more about the Trigger Project there, the stage production, and all the other work that we're doing through workshops with communities and building community to support trauma survivors. Specifically, we're focused on but not exclusively on black and brown men, understanding that systems of care have not really been set up to welcome them to get help and recovery and support. So the podcast is also um, on iTunes and Google, and um, my husband put it all these platforms, but you can access it quickly through the website. Okay.
0: And where can they find you?
1: They can find me at uh, www. Now, let's be clear. Dot com. Let's be clear about something. It's R O X A N N. Of course, it is. No e. No e. No, no e. e. Different. <laughs>
0: You try to be special. No, no, no in the
1: e. You know I'm special. <laughs> Stop playing. I'm not trying. <laughs> There's no trying in this. <laughs> uh, and Mascol is M-A-S-C-O-L-L. You can look me up there. Kind of see what I'm doing. I do a lot of things, um, much like you. I'm I'm in the hustle of social work. We hustle. That's yeah, a New York we do. thing we got too. It. Not everybody knows that up here in Massachusetts.
0: Let me just tell you. I know it just makes us look frazzled sometimes. <laughs> they just like she, she all over the place. But yeah, you know we got we, we our our, our we vibrate differently here. Like I, I say to everybody, like mm-hmm. I, I'm treating um, depression and anxiety every day in New York, just because we just move, we vibrate at a different frequency here, and mm-hmm. you can feel it. As opposed to other places, you could just feel it.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right. You're absolutely right on that one. I have to have you back.
0: I would love
1: to be back.
0: Came on. I want to tell you, Mr. Gary Bailey called me. Yes. Yeah, to help me with my campaign, he gave me some advice. Um, I told my listeners I had an announcement, but I didn't tell them what it was. But I'm running for. Vice President of n a s w in New York state
1: mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I'm not even so, in New York, but I'm excited.
0: I don't know what I'm doing, I don't know how I'm doing this. I'm just gonna just kind of muddle my way through it but um yeah this is this is what the journey is. you got to be in it to win it, and you mm-hmm. have to have. You know, we were having a conversation. I was having a conversation with one of my clients about you know us wanting to have a seat at the table. She works for a uh, social work organization here in New York, and I was like, you know, we always and she's you know Hispanic woman, and I'm like, we always want to have the seat at the table, but then sometimes we get very resentful when we built the table and we we're the one that said it. Mm. I said, but instead of thinking about you know all of the things that have gone wrong. Think about the power that you will now have. That you have this this environment, and channeling it to into that. And so she was like, I, "I she's like I was just so mad about, you know why it took me this long and how it how I ended up getting here that I really wasn't seeing the good that I could do in this this position." And so I don't I I, I don't I don't know, but you know I'm grateful cool to have that. I'm grateful to have the opportunity and I really hope that I win so that I can affect the kind of change that I know that our people and our profession need.
1: You know, you know what you're doing. And here, let me tell you something about what you just said. It's that kind of perspective. I don't really know that humility that makes that, that's what makes the world go round. That's what creates change when we don't know and we just bring our full selves to it. Sometimes oh, yeah. we worry about knowing, and sometimes it's the journey of learning that makes a difference.
0: I mean, I'm humbled. I, I want to see what this process looks like. I really hope I'm able to get more support. If you are um, in leadership anywhere in NASW, give your girl a call, drop me an email, <laughs> Buff- <laughs> phone line, and text, something. Play um, your role. Yeah, I was grateful that Gary did call me back because it's kind of cold calls. I'm like, "Hey, Gary." He's like, "I don't remember you, but the girl, this Ooh. is what you." <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but he was like, "I meet so many people, but you know, this is what you need to do." So I was grateful that he did call me back. So I'm gonna call Johnny again mm-hmm. and see if she called me back. But I have to have my my paperwork, um, my platform, and my stuff in. And he support he he supported the idea that you supported about my winning strategy and my winning smile. So Mm -hmm. I was like, okay. So that, that is a thing.
1: Mm -hmm. It is.
0: (laughs) So yeah. Congratulations for taking that step. And thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for being on. I so appreciate you. And I cannot wait to bring you back.
1: Yes, me neither. I can't wait. We have such good conversations. I feel all enthused afterwards.
0: I know it's so weird because I was like, you know, not that I didn't connect with other people throughout the weekend, but I was like, okay, well, I'm with Roxanne. (laughs) <laughs> it was just like, <laughs> I'm not claiming everybody else, but I know I, Roxanne got it. And then you reached out to me and then we went to lunch and I got to meet your your husband. Yeah. And then I was watching Netflix or something on Amazon. And I was like, wait a minute, that guy looks familiar. And it, I was like texting you like, wait a minute, is this your husband on TV? So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Just the one and the only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was, that was cool too, to get to, to get to see. So, um, Yeah, we are done. Thank you again. Hey y'all, so the cat is out of the bag. I have been nominated to run for vice president of the New York State chapter of NASW. Not New York City where I live, but New York State chapter of NASW. And we talk a lot about why In this episode, I don't know what I'm doing to be honest with you But I feel like in order to make a a significant change Sometimes you have to put your money where your mouth is And so I joined NASW and I'm running (laughs) Jeez, I'm running for vice president And what attracted me to the position is this the opportunity to be able to number one craft the message around how we are seen and to get social workers the respect that we deserve and number two be able to make a difference right I know sometimes we get frustrated when we're like damn I want a seat at the table when I want to I want to seat at the table but you gotta show up sometimes right and so I don't know if I'm when if you want to vote for me and you or want to tweet them or if you want to support me in any kind of way hit me up and let me know that you will or that you can but I, I'm, I'm excited about just the opportunity to work with leadership I'm excited to I mean I hope I win because it's a it's a position where I can really make changes and be able to kind of make a real make a real difference. And I like I said, I know it's it's we've we've all been fighting for a seat on at the table and that becomes very frustrating for a lot of us especially when we built the table and we set the table and we cooked the food that you're going to put on the table, but now this is my opportunity to really do what I need to do to show up for other social workers of color and everybody in the the profession that have dedicated their lives to working with people this is just my first stop hopefully I win I'm not even sure how this works if you know anything about running for s w office please give me a call text me DM me hit me up because I am nervous as hell but you know what sometimes you just got to show up for your team and when I when I am if I'm nothing else is a fighter for the people that I believe in. And I I think that it's worth me lending my voice and my time to make the kind of change that needs to happen to move NASW into 2020 and beyond. Okay. So yeah, that's my secret. Yay. Anyway, if you didn't hear the show last week and you are um, graduating or you're a therapist or you are, entering the field or you are having you're struggling right now in your business please listen to that episode because i drop some gems or some resources that you could you can use right now free low cost some costs whatever but i dropped those resources in how i've been able to kind of pivot in my business and thank god i've actually had to open up more space in my calendar to see more clients because I generally right now work on the weekends, but that's not going to be a realistic thing once summertime comes. I want my weekends back obviously so I can go outside and play. And so um it's a good thing. A job something. It's a good thing to be able to be in a position where you have to add more time to your schedule because you're filled. And so I'm grateful to do that, but the way that I've been able to do that I talk about that last week on the show. Okay? I want to shout out uh, the friends of the show, my little sis, Noni Ife Taylor. Right? So my baby graduates with her MSW master's degree in clinical social work with an emphasis on aging and health. Right? Woo! From Records University. I met Noni in one of my groups. And immediately I adopted her. She is my, my, my little sis. She's my cheerleader. And I. there is not going to be a better social worker outside of me. Because I'm like, she can't surpass me. But I'm just playing. But she is, she is a real social work advocate. She's been on the show before. If you want to know who she is, go on and listen to some of our previous shows um, that I've done with her. She has a organization online, the Social Work Student Connect, and she's built this community to help social work students gain a better and deeper understanding of what they can actually do with a degree in social work. She earned her BSW, and when I met her, she was an undergraduate student, and she's just been amazing. Anything I've ever asked her to do to support the show, she's done. Anything I've ever asked her to do personally uh, to calm me down when I'm dealing with other social workers, she's done. I just really appreciate her and her hard work and her commitment to social work. So I want you guys to follow her and send her love and support. And shout out to the entire class of 2020. I know things look bleak. I know things are not what you were hoping for in terms of... Financial opportunities, post-graduation. I know you got student loan debt and there are a lot of things that you're thinking about right now. But just know that when you come out of this, you, there's only going up, right? I, while I know, even for myself, as somebody who's already a professional in the field, I know things look bleak. I know that this is not the future or the present or the job market that you guys were hoping for. But I am so encouraged that you guys have already done the work. Think about it. For those of you who have are graduating, or graduating, have completed college, have completed your master's, have completed your doctorate, have completed a high school diploma, right? You guys have already started the journey of doing what you need to do to invest in your future, and you are halfway there, okay? So don't worry about the job market Don't worry about the economy. Don't worry about the political climate. You will be just fine. Just got to do the work. Put your head down and focus on you. I wish you all happiness, health, wealth, and success. And I want you guys to be well. Thank you guys for listening to another episode of Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, you can follow us on all our social media sites at Black Therapist Podcast on Instagram and on Twitter, as well as Black in Therapy on Facebook. Or you can follow your host, me, Miss Ms. N i k i Banks on Instagram and Twitter, as well as you can find out any information about me at Nikita, N-I-K-I-T-A, banks.com. And on this show's website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. And don't forget, if you want to send us any general feedback, show suggestions, uh, show topics, or guest ideas, please feel free to drop us an email at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. Be well.